Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. I was reminded of my next guest when reading the Wall Street Journal two days ago and saw a headline that said, Comcast, comma, Goldman Sachs, resume pack giving. The lead of the story says this, political action committees for Comcast Corp. and Goldman Sachs Group, Inc. have resumed giving money to one or more of the 147 Republican lawmakers who voted to object to the certification of President Biden's election after the January 6th Capitol riot by supporters of former GOP President Donald Trump, new filings show. The two companies were among dozens that announced in the days after the riot that they would pause or review their political donations, decisions that in some cases drew pushback from lawmakers. I immediately thought of Professor Jeffrey Sonnenfeld. He's the Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies and the Lester Crown Professor in the Practice of Management at the Yale School of Management. And the reason that I thought of Professor Sonnenfeld is because he had hosted one of the meetings where those corporate pledges were made. Professor Sonnenfeld, thanks so much for coming back to the program. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's always an honor, and I'm thrilled to hear that anything in the news triggered a thought of me for you. Of course, <laughs> I, I always think of you, and you guys have been in some headlines lately, too, but I think of you on Happy News, too. Thank you for saying that. Hey, first, some context. Remind everybody, what are these CEO gatherings that you put together? What's the background? Thanks. It's something that, thank goodness, you're not in my line of work because you would have done this is about uh, 35 years ago uh, when I was uh, uh, created the world's first school for incumbent CEOs before the World Economic Forum or Forbes uh, Fortune, Wall Street Journal, or others bringing together CEOs for GabFest. We started doing this as a non-commercial, non-partisan program, and we've done about 120 of them now. So uh, thanks for asking. We, we did some pop-up ones last year that were crisis-driven ones post-election with sometimes as little as, as, as 8 to 12 hours of advance notice. It was amazing. How many participate typically in a non-COVID time or in a COVID time? It, we uh, we generally do them in person, and we do them in Shanghai and Mumbai and in Beijing and uh, uh, Mexico City uh, in uh, in Delhi in non-COVID times. These days, uh, we don't do any of them in person, but we usually uh, – we're in New York twice a year, Washington twice a year, and we'll have a couple of hundred CEOs that are all name brand CEOs and, and very major companies – we had reverted to Zoom for the last two years, of course, and we hope to go back in person. But we'll, we'll have several hundred on these Zoom calls. And the emergency uh, business leaders for national unity 
crisis-driven ones. We limited that to around 50 or 60. Actually, one on voting rights, on, uh, we hit actually 90 on one day's notice on a Saturday. Well, many of them were off at the Masters uh, in, in Augusta. We still got them to step off the, uh, the, the greens to, to talk about voting rights issues. If a CEO is unavailable, will you permit a subordinate to sit in? You know, that is such a great question. It comes in all the time. If it's a chairman or a president, chief operating officer, is a likely heir apparent, we do. But it has to be somebody that speaks for the total enterprise, with the exception that, Michael, your seat is always there as a, as a special VIP welcome. And we do have working press there. It's off the record on the Chatham House rules plan, so people have to clear any remarks. But other than that, and academic experts and things, everybody, all the business leaders are the CEO. Uh, who, you know, it's not a vanity thing, at least not purely a vanity thing, is they have to be able to talk across functions and to be able to speak for the board and for the total enterprise and to put somebody else in an awkward position. I know that I'm asking a lot of process questions, but I'm just fascinated by this, for not the least of which reason, just to get these individuals on the same date and time or on an emergent basis, the way that you described on voting rights is shocking because I know the type of calendars that they all maintain. It is it is astounding. You know, when we first started doing these, of course, the earliest people who walk in the room, say uh, the late Catherine Graham of The Washington Post, uh, some of these people, their egos are so large, you wonder if they're going to fit into the ballroom. And she looked over, wondering, what am I doing? And she looked over and saw Ben and Jerry's there in their woolly-haired, uh, <laughs> they still had hair, but, you know, tie-dyed Cherry's Garcia t-shirts. And she's thinking, oh, right. my gosh. But then the CEO of Walmart, Walmart walked in and, you know, other people, and they, they find peers, and they get a lot smaller and easier to manage. But they, it's, uh, I try to keep them from realizing that there are you know, 200 of them and only one of me and try to work the crowd against each other. We don't allow any speeches. If somebody pulls out any remarks or teleprompter or, you know, or PowerPoint, I tear it up and uh, disconnect them. We want it to be a conversation. They don't have to speak, but if they do speak, it has to be candid because if there's anything that's more god-awful boring than my academic colleagues doing another treatise, it's when these CEOs – start to act like uh, abstract theorists. They are brilliant people, as smart if not smarter than any academic colleagues, but they have shorter attention spans. They move across topics, and they don't want long speeches. I get it. Okay, so January 6, 147, all Republicans, eight senators, 139 House members voted to object to the certification of President Biden's election after the riot of that day. How did this then become a subject of the focus of the people you're talking about? Well, now I'm going to give you something that only your viewers, your listeners have, and that is, uh, unlike the way it's been reported in the press, is the CEOs gathered and, and started the momentum for a pledge that began at our event on January 5th, uh-huh. the day before, Monday the 5th. And the reason was because the prior day is when we got the recordings uh, from the, the Secretary of State in Georgia, Rapsberger, of course, that uh, President Trump had directly intervened to try to change the election results as late as that weekend before before the the certification vote uh, the the uh, the affirmation by by Congress of the already certified. Uh, Elector, Electoral College, he still was tampering. So the CEOs wanted to meet in a panic. We voted as to whether or not he should be impeached. And believe it or not, even some of the most vocal Democrat CEOs in the room, and there are some, said, no, nah, he probably shouldn't not be impeached at that point. The next week they voted differently. But they all said, a unanimous vote that they were one of this group, that they would withhold their contributions. 
and then that started a crescendo of others joining. So about 130 major company CEOs uh, pledged a moratorium to withhold donations to those objectors. Some called them seditionists, but they're objectors that didn't want to do their con- their constitutional duty and vote uh, to affirm the the uh, electoral college vote. So here's what I'm taking away from what Professor Jeffrey Sonnenfeld just told me. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. So here's what I'm taking away from what Professor Jeffrey Sonnenfeld just told me, that this issue, this is not predicated on the violence of January 6th, that even if the 6th hadn't been violent, if members of Congress, the House, the Senate went along with the Trump protest, the corporate America folks that you're talking about were already saying we're not going to donate to them. You know, if if I were if I could do what you could do so efficiently, other people would know that we have we haven't gotten that message out as clearly as you just stated, Michael, because that's the truth. That's actually what happened. It isn't a reaction to the violence, per se, but it was to the fact that these con- these congressional leaders were not doing their constitutional duty. Got and it. That was the day before. So well said. OK, understood. OK, so in the end. How many companies, am I right that it was 130, said we will not donate to anybody who votes to object to the certification? There was 130, exactly right. And out of fairness, there are a couple hundred of others that don't give money at all. Those include companies like IBM, uh, Levi Strauss, and you'll be happy to know in in your future life, I think, that the uh, Discovery Group also doesn't give money to any candidates. So there are a lot of companies that didn't give the pledge, but that's because they don't give money to anybody. Got it. Okay. Of the 130, how many have stuck with the pledge and how many have gone back on the pledge? That's another thing that people have gotten confused by. There were already cynics on the left and on the right that were arguing why it's great to be back in the middle, by the way, with you, is that they had an agenda, an anti-management agenda that was cynical soon after the pledges were made, saying that they weren't going to be maintained. They were woke CEOs or this was all PR or greenwashing. And they were saying that before the election results came out from the Federal Election Commission. And what we saw up and it was between um, 80 to uh, to 90 percent through the first three quarters. We just this week got the data for the fourth quarter and we're still at 60 percent. So, yes, some companies have reneged, but we, we still have amazingly of the companies who made the pledge. We have 78 of those 130 and that's that's pretty remarkable. This was supposed to be a temporary moratorium. 
Oh, it was. I should have asked that question. For how long was it supposed to last? It was indeterminate, but it was always specified that it was temporary. There were some who converted to make it permanent. And, you know, in some of the companies, these are not inconsequential companies. The companies that are still compliant are like, you know, 3M and Accenture and uh, AT&T, Alphabet, Amazon, uh, BlackRock, Dell, Coca-Cola, Marriott, Walmart, Verizon, PepsiCo, Microsoft, uh, Disney, Home Depot, Hilton. These are, you know, really major companies, GE, General Mills, uh, that have still held to the pledge. And that's that's really astounding. And that should be the headline. But, of course, the Wall Street Journal wanted to go for the tail, you know, tail wags dog instead of dog wags tail or whatever it is, or man bites dog instead of dog bites man, is that they're looking for some some who did uh, for various in some cases, understandable reasons look like they reneged. What it was, as I've talked to the CEOs of some who pulled themselves into the camp of, of paying, is they actually talked to the congressmen who regretted their moves and made public statements in several cases that they now should have voted the other way and, and believe it was an honest and fair free election. Speak to me as a, this is uh, hypothetical, speak to me as a, a Comcast stockholder or Duke Energy or Boeing or Lockheed Martin. These are the quote-unquote non-compliant examples that I'm offering, uh, where I would say, well, I'm glad they're giving money again because this has nothing to do with the bottom line of these companies and protecting my investments. Stay out of it. Do what's best for the company. Don't get involved in, in this political business. Uh, it's I, I, I would take a different position. As a shareholder, I would encourage the shareholders of those companies you mentioned, and those were perfect ones to mention, to encourage them to uh, reinstate that moratorium, that having faith in our political system is fundamental. We have to have faith in that our, our that our electoral process works for our free markets to work. The country is founded on that. There's a great political scientist who visited the U.S. in the 1840s, wrote a great book called Democracy in America, which I know you know, Tocqueville. And what Alexis de Tocqueville said is what makes America different, as he saw it. It wasn't the tightness of our rules. It wasn't, you know, people can run out of restaurants without paying and things. It's that it's a fundamental foundation of trust in American society that we, we he called it social capital and said it was more valuable even than financial capital. It was true in 1840, it's true in 2022, is we have to have that foundational trust that we don't want people pointing fingers at each other at hostile communities, angry workforces, and, uh, and all this social disharmony. To manage our companies well and for our, enter- our free enterprise system to function well, we have to have a harmonious society that's founded on trust and, and working institutions. This kind of cynicism that, that erodes the foundations of our democracy is, is very dangerous. So hopefully these companies uh, either will get back on board or they made the right choice because the particular legislators they funded have changed their minds. Okay, so the, the basic argument you make then is that without this foundational trust, there is no climate in which we can do business, that this is such a a core or foundational issue that without it, none of us are going to be able to achieve our goals. That's exactly right. It's a lot more important than an interest rate uh, change a little bit here or there or another dollar of taxes, is this is the foundation of the system. Nothing could be more in the strategic context of a business leader than assuring us of this. And business leaders, as as this week's Edelman Trust Barometer, Worldwide Barometer, of uh, surveys of of public opinion points out again that in the U.S., the most trusted pillars of society are the voices of business leaders, of CEOs. 
God, I love this issue so much that it's the survey question of the day on my website today. The way I framed it, Professor, I hope this is okay with you because already 5,000 people have voted. Is it good business for Fortune 500 CEOs to withhold contributions to lawmakers who voted against certifying the 2020 election? Jeffrey Sonnenfeld says, of course, it's good business. That's exactly right. That's well phrased. It's very good business. And these companies have suffered no reprisals for taking the courageous and important positions they've taken. It's been a win for society and a win for the business. Thank you so much for being here and your willingness to discuss this issue. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you, Michael. Always an honor. Jeffrey Sonnenfeld is the Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies and the Lester Crown Professor in the Practice of Management at the Yale School of Business. I'm just making a note to myself here. No reprisals. All right. I have the list in front of me. So you get it now. The compliant companies, he gave you a bunch of big names, 78 of them, 78 of them, Pepsi, PNC, Target, Lowe's, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, BlackRock, Bank of America, Amazon, Alcoa, 3M, Disney, eBay, et cetera, et cetera. They all made a pledge and they said, and I found that very interesting, they were making the pledge before it was violent. It seems like they were already committed to the proposition that they would not make political contributions to anybody who objected to the certification of President Biden's election. A number of other firms, 52 of them, made the pledge. He said it was for an indeterminate time period, but come on, we're not even at the midterm yet. And they've gone back on it. Abbott Labs, Labs, Aflac, Altria, Boeing, Booz Allen. Duke Energy, Eli Lilly, Ford, Wells Fargo, PG&E, Pfizer, Northrop Grumman, Goldman Sachs, GM, etc., etc. So which group has the best idea? Is it, this is the survey question today, is it good business for these CEOs, these Fortune 500 CEOs, to withhold contributions to lawmakers who voted against certifying the 2020 election. I I phrased my question poorly for Professor Sonnenfeld, but what I was trying to get at is, if you are a stockholder of any of these businesses and you want to return on your investment, what do you want them to do? Because maybe it's politically unwise to alienate Republicans, 147 of them. We need you to write those checks so that they look fondly on your business. I'm a stockholder. I want a dividend. Professor Sonnenfeld's response to that is to say, unless there's some level of foundational trust in this country, none of our businesses are safe and secure. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? 
Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A L L B I R D S.com. Code SUPER24.